The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. All right, we're going to get started. So one of the uh, big topics of conversation are when we were interviewing churches about what they wanted to hear in these sessions um, is the same thing that trickled up during the course of that last session, and that is how do you develop leaders? Um, what does the leadership pipeline look like, especially for elders? And so uh, a lot of our churches are really good at developing leaders, life group leaders, uh, that sort of thing, but when it comes to actually developing guys who are uh, bivocational elders, vocational elders, um, that's not a strong suit in a, a lot of churches, partially because we trusted seminaries for so long to do the the pastoral, paid pastoral positions, and then nobody else had the other bivocational elders were just boards. And so in churches like ours where we have actual working elders, that development piece is really a gap. And so a lot that was the most common question I got. Um, and so I'm going to give it to Yancey and Chris. I'll let them introduce themselves and why they think they're qualified. And... And yeah, and then they'll present their material and then just save your questions. We'll have lots of Q&A time at the end. So here you go. Yeah, I'm not shaking my head to say, yeah, we're qualified. I'm shaking my head like now is our time to do this. So uh, I want to welcome you guys. Uh, I'm Yancey Arrington. I'm the teaching pastor at Clear Creek Community Church. This is Chris Alston. He's our leadership development pastor, pastor of leadership development, I should say, uh, the way we've worded that. And he's also a campus pastor. And so uh, Chris has been vital in what we're about to present to you guys uh, that's kind of who we are. We're at Clear Creek Community Church. It's a church in uh, southeast of Houston. Uh, we've hosted a couple of boot camps. Uh, we got a conference coming on later on, and we'll talk to you about it just briefly. Uh, but let's just jump right on in and get to it. Uh, we're going to talk to you again about our, our elder development process. I appreciate what Noel and, and Josh and all those guys have shared about how they do it. Obviously, philosophies come into play, and so uh, that's true with this as well. We have a philosophy about how we've done things. Uh, this is somewhat new for us uh, in the way that we're rolling out our elders now. Uh, suffice to say, we had a uh, we have a church of 5,000 plus every weekend, multiple campuses, um, you know, 9,000 something for Easter, and so you know, in a in a given month, we'll have between 10 to 12,000 people come on campus, and so our three campuses, and so we needed to change, and so here's what we've done. So what I'm about to show you is how we've gotten into this process. Uh, let me let me kind of tell you our roles and what this played in here. So I, as a teaching pastor, I was the creator of all the elder development stuff. I either created it or I curated it, uh, which means I stole it, but I gave proper attribution. So it really was the right thing to do. As a matter of fact, most of the stuff I'm going to show you about what I put together came from my doctoral work. Uh, working, I, I got a doctor of ministry from Covenant Seminary. I worked with a lot of guys there. They were able to, uh, they gave me permission to use a lot of their stuff. And so um, what you'll see about as far as the elements we walk people through is what I've created. Uh, but what Chris has done here, uh, Chris works directly with our elder candidates. Uh, and because he is pastor of leadership development, helped oversee this process and actually uh, already had installed a process just for our leaders. And so before we go any further, our leadership development process is already built upon another leadership process, our elder development process, process, I should say. Our elder development process sits upon what we call LDP. And so, Chris, uh, could you just briefly tell them what LDP is about and how it's installed and used in our church? Yeah, good to see you guys. Um, part of the process is kind of starting from the ground up. You take somebody that's brand new into the church, how do you enfold them into a discipleship process with really the end goal of, 
of growing some godly leaders are going to multiply themselves. And so our leadership development process is, so when we just talk about our elder process, we can't just say, here's our elder process, because there's all these other preliminary things before somebody even steps into our elder process. And so part of that is a small group leader development. I mean, from an apprentice track to an existing small group leader track to a leadership development track as they're leading ministry departments and things like that, from a theology track to a pastoral care track to a lot of different tracks of leadership that by the time somebody has walked through many of those, they're starting to birth as an elder. And so it's not like we have to start from ground zero when we identify an elder. They've already begun to be trained in multiple theology, multiple leadership, multiple discipleship, um, so that when we get them in the elder process, we can just take them from where they already are. They've already built a foundation that we can move from. So, uh, By the way, hold on to your questions. We'll have those at the end. We'd love to answer them as best we can. Uh, so Noel uh, kind of segued out of this in the first session about what do you do, where, where would you start with the guy who's dropping acid, how does he become an elder? Well, for us, uh, after he becomes a follower of Jesus because uh, you know, God's sovereign grace, right? He uh, just gets involved in our church. And hopefully at some point, uh, one of our entry-level leadership, I say entry-level, it's not entry-level, but something that anyone can uh, really have access to once they've qualified for, it's our small groups. And so we're going to take guys from those small groups, and then we're going to put them through our LDP process. So the guy that dropped assets, now become a believer, now is going to disciple others, gets invited, invited. We don't let everyone go to it. You have to be invited into an LDP, LDP process, which you have a mentor. You're meeting with that mentor. And so uh, it's a two-year process, LDP will go what's once a month uh, for basically the, a year minus the summer. LDB2, you're going to meet with me for two hours every week. I'm going to teach you systematic theology, and we're going to do that for eight months. Uh, and so that's the foundation we build upon. Now you can get in part of the elder process. So about that so part of that process is it is we use phrase you've heard before just kind of a high-tech high-touch approach throughout this whole leadership process so there's there's some online stuff that allows people just to go read and learn and you know go watch a video of some guy teaching across the nation or whatever but as Yancey said every one of these tracks is a high touch because you're invited in as the whole idea of we're going to trust a faithful man who can in turn teach others and so um, every person walking through these tracks has a coach at whatever level it is they're being coached by somebody um, personally that's interested in their development interested in their spiritual development interested in their leadership development so they can walk alongside of them throughout this whole process so they're they're well known throughout this process and hopefully they're well trained throughout this process so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through basically three phases of how we've gathered our elders from candidates all the way to their commissioning. Uh, we're in the process of that right now. So this, the paint on this is incredibly wet. Uh, it's not only a, something that Chris and I have been a part of. Bruce Wesley, our lead pastor, uh, has also been integral to this process, helped form this. Uh, Bruce is at the back, so I want to invite him to speak into this at any point. Just interrupt us. Uh, because that's what he does and we obey him. No, I'm joking. We don't do that. Uh, but he has some, maybe some great insight as you get to Q&A. So, Bruce, just feel free to please jump on in and answer some questions. So, let me tell you the first phase that we did on this. Uh, in fact, the reason I even mentioned Bruce in this is because he outlined, uh, was really that we asked him if he would outline this process for us as far as how we start from scratch. And so, this is going to sound almost formal, but I, we're okay with that because we're here to show you a process and there's formality with process. So, uh, campus pastors, Chris, Alston, uh, Greg Poor, Ryan Leighton, who's our Wednesday night guy, 
and Carl Garcia. So we have three primary campuses, uh, geographic locations. In fact, we just opened up a new campus uh, as far as the facility two weeks ago. Uh, and we have a guy that has a Wednesday night, so we consider him a campus pastor hybrid. So here's what the deal was. Uh, those uh, Three of those men, the guys at geographic locations, Chris being one of them, were to identify potential candidates who uh, were considered by the current elders. So we already had established elders. Uh, we had basically around, uh, Bruce, what's our total amount? Seven? Seven elders that oversaw a church of 5,000 plus every weekend, and we felt like that wasn't going to be the best way to do that, especially with multiple campuses. Uh, much of what we heard Noel and Josh say, we wanted to pastor our people well. So we made a, a really a seismic shift in how we'd done church for 20 plus years. So uh, the current elders uh, would consider this list. That So Chris would submit a list. We'd look at them. We all knew these guys, and, and it was not like fraternity rush, but it was the stuff where we could say we were going to blackball someone because maybe his spouse we didn't have. We had questions about integrity issues, whatever it was. But most of the list that was submitted, 99.9% .9 of it were like, yeah, those are guys we trust. And so they were interviewed by the campus pastors, uh, those who met biblical qualifications, who had necess the necessary margin in their life, and who were willing to be trained as elders. Notice what we said, necessary margin. We just had a guy drop out of that process last week, stud guy, scientist at NASA where we are, uh, really elder quality, just said, I can't do this. Uh, and we all applauded it because he didn't have the margin because I love that Noel said, for those of you who aren't here, uh, that they have to work 10 hours at least a minimum at the church if they're bivoc you know, if they're, if they're lay leaders. Uh, well, they're doing that. We, we already do that. We just don't make it formal. So we, we really try to press on them, hey, we're asking you really to get another job, which is to come serve the church as an elder. So once they pass that, they're invited. Now watch this, into a one-year-long period of training and assessment. It's really been two years as we've, as we've watched this, and I'll show you what that looks like. So uh, make sure I can follow along with my own notes here. Here's an overview uh, of our process, and uh, here's what it looks like. So the first month, the first 12 months, so it's really two years we've learned here, not one, uh, 12 months of teaching. So what you're going to see is teaching, then you're going to see training, and then you're going to see commissioning. So uh, we did 12 months of teaching. We did three phases, uh, and this was primarily the stuff that I had written or curated, uh, and what you'll see is that these sessions were built upon, again, foundational leadership we'd already talked about that Chris had led. Uh, and so here's what it looks like. We did four th uh, three things. The first one was shepherd yourself, our first three phases. And so for us, I'll use real time in the spring of 2013. Uh, we spent all those months walking our candidates through um, shepherding yourself. Uh, here's what it looked like. So just so you know, uh, you start with yourself. We talked about your identity in Christ, uh, uprooting idolatries. Discovering your personality strengths and weaknesses. So let me just note, we're integrationists philosophically. So it's not like if it's not in the Bible, we don't talk about it. Uh, we, we think there's a lot of wisdom, all truth's God's truth. And so we looked at kind of personality strengths and weaknesses. Uh, increasing your EQ, your emotional quotient. Uh, looked, a lot of, looked at that. Steps to self-care and spiritual vitality. So Chris, would you share with us basically, uh, so here's the content we had. How did it, what was the delivery system for you guys as far as like now Chris has his candidates with them? How did this work? And so as Yancey kind of put together some of this training, again, we have three campus pastors. And so those campus pastors would actually gather with their guys in a smaller setting. And so it worked differently. Some guys gathered at home, some guys gathered over breakfast. And we would literally take six months and spend time with those different topics over the last six months. So we had a lot of time with our guys, um, smaller groups of guys um, that we were personally developing on the campus level. And so, again, it gave us a chance to really know those guys, to really speak truth into those guys, allow them to learn. And then 
um, but just so you know, we didn't just keep them at the campus level. We brought them all together with what we have called now our Council of Elders, um, where our central guys, so Bruce Wesley, Yancey Arrington, and our executive pastor had some time as well with all the different campus groups as a central council of elders so they could begin to speak into them and begin to spend some more relational time with those guys as well. So what, ha what would happen in addition to that, so Chris would meet with his campus or his candidates, and what he'd do is he'd download each one of these recessions. He would download them as presentations, and he would walk them through with those guys, and it's highly interactive. Uh, we, you know, again, we, we feel like one of the, one of the biggest uh, doctrines and probably one of the least talked about doctrines is, is really our, our union with Christ, and everything should flow out of that. Everything should flow out of that, and yet it's just hardly talked about. So we let off with that. And so we felt like if you're going to shepherd yourself, because that's the first place you got to start to pastors yourself, you got to know that uh, who you are in Christ and the work of Christ. So we started off with the gospel in that. So with that being said, uh, these guys would meet. Uh, Chris, would you all do it on a weekly basis every other week when you would walk through this? So every other week, uh, campus pastors meeting with their candidates, uh, downloading this session. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, are those available or not? Because some of them are proprietary. Some of them aren't ours. Uh, we ask for permission on them. But the first thing we do is shepherd yourself. So I'll move on uh, for sake of time here. Uh, so we'd move from that, and then we did shepherd your home. So that's phase two of just the teaching process. Now, mind you, again, this is uh, 12 months of this. And so shepherd your home, we wanted to focus on three things in there, uh, four things, rather, your family, your marriage, your children, and your finances. And uh, I'll show you exactly how that played itself out in phase two. So uh I don't know, you can barely see that. This would be done locally as far as like independently. Every guy's kind of, uh, it's up to every campus pastor to deliver that as how they want to. You know, want to meet at the church, want to meet at the home. This was different. We got, we gathered everybody, when I mean everybody, all of our campus pastor, all of our candidate elders uh, gathered for, if you will, an in-house retreat because we wanted their wives there. Because we didn't want to talk about how the pastor candidate or the elder candidate is supposed to shepherd his home without his spouse being there as accountability. And we wanted them to know what our expectations were of them. And that's part of this process. So shepherd your home. So shepherd your first, uh, first part of that, shepherd yourself. Secondly, shepherd your home. So we did that over the summer of 2013. We really did it in one event, an all-evening event. We talked about understanding your family system. So I'm, one of the things we've been learning about, about genograms and, and uh, you know, uh, systemic sins in families, uh, so we would literally would do a genogram. I'd walk people through. Uh, in fact, I'm, I think I'm going to do this for Austin Stone uh, in a couple of weeks when we kind of work with some of their uh, leadership. And we had people literally in tears afterwards going, I never saw this in my family. I never saw these problems. And so we wanted to do all that together, get that stuff out. Uh, fulfilling your marital design. We're complementarians unapologetically. Uh, Acts 29, that's, that's kind of part and parcel for being that. So we, uh, Bruce led, Bruce and I would lead about how we talk about that at Clear Creek Community Church. Um, we talked, oh, I'm sorry, let me go back. I uh, apologize for that. Talk about discipling, discipling your kids, um, something also we're pretty big on. Um, I'm writing a book on it right now because of that. Work through managing your finances. Our executive pastor would lead that. So basically, this was a seminar. We had different already established elders leading through this. And then Bruce finished this off. In fact, most of this wasn't Bruce. Um, it was other different guys, our lead pastor, I should say. Uh, but we wanted our lead pastor to end talking about fulfilling staff expectations. So literally, we have staff expectations. We put it on a screen, and Bruce walked through each one of those and looked in the eyes of not just our candidates, but of the eyes of their wives as well to say, can you do this? Do you want to be a part of this? These are our non-negotiables, and we want to get this, you know, uh, out before you. So uh, that was kind of a one-time event, walked through all that stuff, 
uh, would all, all this time in this process, we're having feedback. How did this work for you guys? Was this good for you as, as elders? So uh, we'll move into our final phase here. Our final phase from shepherd your home, shepherd yourself, and then thirdly and finally, shepherd your church. And uh, we walked that all the way through. And Chris, stop me wherever you want to. Uh, shepherd your church was the biggest one. Because uh, this is the rubber meets the road of our, how do we practice, you know, how, how's our, what's our ecclesiology? In fact, uh, I've, I've, I've put this third section into two different slides so you can see what we did here. So this is what we did all last, uh, uh, really spring of 13, and I should say even into the fall rather, to, to be correct, fall 13. So we're going to shepherd yourself with gospel-centered theology. So uh, I would lead them through uh, gospel-centered theology, or at least wrote that up. We'd walk through that. You're going to shepherd yourself with missional ecclesiology. So as you can see, we kind of have some chapter tiles that we feel like were kind of uh, uh, tent pegs in the ground for us. So discovering the distinctives, we wanted to say, here's what makes Clear Creek Clear Creek. You know, we're a church for the unchurched. We don't apologize for that either. You know, we want to reach lost people. Uh, other distinctives we have, we're complementarian, we're uh, essentially reformed, so we walked them through all these things. And some of this wasn't new, but they needed to hear from us about what we felt about it and our passion. Uh, owning the passion for church planning, we're a church planning church, and so we would talk about Acts 29, Houston Church Planning Network, I mean, it's just all the things that we're about. Uh, and then uh, this last page here, uh, sorry, it's, it's got a lot of details on it. Uh, actually, two more pages or one more page. Uh, you shepherd yourself with pastoral leadership. Uh, we talk about being the calm presence in the room, uh, which is called it's systems theory. That's, that's actually more psycho, uh, psychological stuff. Um, but those are things that we think are helpful. Like a, a real good leader is the calmest presence in the room. Uh, when everyone's uh, screaming fire, he's trying to find a way out and getting everybody out. So we wanted to share that with him. So uh, everything else, uh, most of this, pastoral leadership is very uh, very rubber meets the road. Counseling, how do we do Christ-centered counseling? How do we do Christ-centered weddings and funerals? We're, we may have our elders do that. Our lay elders do that. Uh, I, I spoke on teaching with God's word with Christ at the center. So how do we preach with gospel centrality in mind? Uh, pastoring through restoration, articulating our elder positions. So we write elder positions. What do we believe about homosexuality? What do we believe about money? What do we believe about uh, divorce and remarriage? All the things that are important to you guys as well. We wanted our, to walk our elder candidates through it so they could articulate that. The worst thing that you could have is an elder saying something differently than what all the elders have stacked hands on, right? So um, finally, uh, understanding the campus elder role, and that really was kind of unwritten. This is where Chris and all of our other guys would get to say, here's what I want you to do. And so you need to hear, at this stage in the game, there's a lot of freedom for what our campus elders want to demand from their elder candidates, these future elder teams. And we'll get to structure here in a second. Uh, uh, secondly here, fourthly, I should say, uh, with strategic leadership, we shepherd ourselves learning Clear Creek's language and culture. Uh, we wanted Bruce to lead out on that. We have a thing called Creek Speak. It's just how we talk. We say things like top five, which means nothing to anybody except Clear Creekers. Those are the top five people we're praying that God would save. Uh, we do other things like uh, the last 10%. Uh, it's a phrase we use. And so uh, we talk about, I need the last 10%. In other words, if, you're, if you have a problem with me, tell me everything. Uh, we talk about Monday morning conversations is another phrase we use. So we're not going to evaluate right now as I have to go preach about how bad I was. We need to have a Monday morning conversation about that because I don't need to get junked up. So those kinds of things are kind of real-time theologies that we've made into maxims that we wanted to share with people. And then finally, knowing and caring Clear Creek's narrative. That's where Bruce walks out in a walker. He's like, a long time ago I established a church. And, and uh, fortunately, we've only done that 20 years ago. So... He wants to say, uh, Bruce, we wanted Bruce to say, here's where we've been, and here's where we are, and now we're scared because we're, we're inviting you into this. And this has been our story 
uh, God's story through us that we've really managed here, and now we're going to let you be a part of that. So uh, those are moments for us. And so with that being said, here's phase two. At the conclusion of the first year, the men were presented to the church as candidates. So after they got, after they got, uh, after we taught them up, we presented them before the church and said, "These are going to be your candidates." Look at them. Hold them accountable. Know what they're going to be doing. In the second year of that process, which is we're in right now, uh, there's this what we're calling training and testing, where elder candidates will function as elders alongside campus pastors as a way of testing their readiness and training them to become uh, elders. I want to make sure that I, I walk on this well. So uh, as you can see in our process, what this would look like is, so we finished our 12 months of teaching. Now we've moved into 12 months of, of training and testing and um, Actually, Chris, can you just give them a little taste about what you're having them do in this phase right now? So, I mean, as you can figure, that first 12 months was really a lot of head knowledge. I mean, we're just trying to download some of that. And so, and they weren't even public, as you saw in the process. I mean, it was really kind of behind the scenes. We're meeting with these guys behind closed doors trying to train. Then we went public with them and said, hey, we just spent the last year with these guys training them. And now you're going to see them walking alongside me for the next 12 months. So when I bring them up to serve Lord's Supper, now I can introduce them as these are elder candidates that are serving Lord's Supper. When I invite them to pray um, and on a Sunday morning, they're going to see that. Other ways, when people are calling the elders together to, to pray for the sick, these are the guys that we're showing up at their homes and we're praying over these, um, these situations together. When there's discipline and restoration issues going on on our campus, I mean, these are the guys coming in and beginning to develop a restoration process. Um, with these folks when there's counseling when there's hospitals things like that um, these guys are the ones walking alongside me they've also we've given them um, some responsibilities in some areas like um, every person in a small group has the phone number of an elder candidate which eventually will be an elder so we, we've designated every elder and said hey these are the elders for these small groups um, they've got small group leaders that's going to be their first line of pastoral care is through their small group leaders um, but if there's something that they need an elder um, they have the phone number of that elder same thing if you're in a ministry team so every elder on our campus is assigned a ministry so this is the elder over our children's ministry this is the elder over our worship and arts ministry so that if somebody's on a service team um, they also not only have their ministry leader, they have an elder in his phone number um, that they can go to so they can have direct access to the elders of the church. And so that's the, typically what's, what's happened over these next 12 months. We've laid all that out to the church as elder candidates. Now they're seeing these guys just walk alongside them in their development, dealing with a lot of issues, being there to pastor people. And then, as you saw at the end of that, we'll have a chance to present them before the church so the church now actually knows who these people are. So as you notice, we don't even let them know who the elder candidates are, not because we're trying to hide something from them, but we don't even do that until a year of just getting them doctrinally lined up. So think about this. The first phase is orthodoxy. Second phase, we're trying to train them in orthopraxy. Uh, this is a very practical, very kind of uh, wheels on for sure, not off anymore. I need to see how you work, and we need to see how, how our campus pastors feel that dynamic with those teams. And so they get a lot of, if you will, Chris and our campus pastors get a lot of authority here. They already have a lot of authority, but a lot of freedom to really figure out what they want to do with these guys with their campus. So finally, we'll move into phase three. So once that's all done, here's what happens. Uh, they'll be presented to the church for affirmation. So for us right now, I'm trying to give you real-time stuff. Uh, this coming spring, uh, these elder candidates will be affirmed by the congregation. So we're not a, we're not a Baptistic, or I should say we're not a, um, 
We're, we are elder-led. We're not congregationally in our we're not congregational in our polity. We don't have to have votes on this stuff, but we just think it's wise. I'm sure many of you guys would agree that we want our whole congregation to affirm this. And so they're not voting to say yes or no. They're just affirming that, uh, and then we'll install them. Uh, and again, we're not big on <clears throat> uh, we 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 want to fight sacerdotalism. So that's just a big fancy word that says that there are special people that have been ordained by God to do special spiritual things. That's just not our vibe. So we won't even say that we're going to have. Uh, uh, if you will, uh, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We just call it this. Um, we, we don't do ordination. We'll do a commissioning. And so, uh, and again, for those of you who do ordination, that's not a slam. It's just the way we, words are important to us, and so we'd rather just commission them. In other words, here's a task you've been given, and we're commissioning you to that task uh, with hopefully uh, the blessing of, not, not hopefully, with the blessing of the church and hopefully by the grace of God. And so for us, um, uh, our whole overview of our elder development process, you can see in those three movements. Uh, a year of teaching, orthodoxy, uh, ta uh, training and testing for 12 months, orthopraxy, and now they're ready. And we're going to commission those guys to serve the church. And so um, I have a picture here, I believe, of our first kind of gathering uh, and, uh, that we had uh, last week or a week and a half ago at Camp Tejas in Texas. And so there's Bruce. This is after Bruce just said, I'm scared to death of this because this is a new way we've done things. Uh, he used a beautiful illustration about marriage. He said, when I was standing at the altar, knowing this, is who I, this is, was my future, I was scared and excited. Excited to be married, scared to know what all the changes would be. And he said, basically, men, uh, pucker up because here we are. And I thought it was a wonderful way to say emotionally about how we've done church for 20 years is now going to change, but we do this hopefully for the glory of God and for the good of his people. And so as you can see these men here, I, I'd really want to do this as we, as we end because I want to give you chances to ask us questions. I want to share with you what our structure is now so you understand how this all works for us. So instead of seven guys doing everything, uh, here's our structure. Here's what they're responsible for. So elders, many of you guys already do this anyhow. We have doctrine, we have discipline, and direction. That's probably familiar with many of you. That's, those are the three primary areas of what elders are called to do, at least as Clear Creek defines them. So instead of having one group of elders, seven people, uh, we've broken them up into three different bodies. Uh, the first one, teaching elders. Uh, I, I currently now oversee teaching elders, and that's... Uh, I'll tell you how that works. Uh, for, for discipline, it's campus elders. And we use the word discipline. It's really pastoral care, pastoral care, of which discipline's a part of. And then finally, our strategic elders. Now, these aren't separate pockets. You can be a strategic elder and a teaching elder. You can be a campus elder and a strategic elder. So uh, currently, I'm, I'm definitely this. Currently, Chris is definitely these things. Bruce is a strategic and a teaching elder. So we share. There's a lot of blur here. Uh, here's what we would say about this. All of our campus elders, so the new group that's coming in is this group. Uh, we, we could go just, what we've really been doing over the last 20 years is, is really functioning in, in these two areas. So as we bring these guys in, campus elders will at some level still be at their campus responsible for doctrine, discipline, and direction, still. Uh, but, on a, but on an intensive strategic way, we have teams devoted to that. So they're going to have some doctrinal issues come up. They're going to have some strategic issues. But Chris is leading in that for his campus and so for our other two campus pastors. And so that's how we've been structured. Um, so uh, here's how we close. Chris, did you want to say anything else about that? Uh, I'm going to give you a chance for Q&A here. For those of you that, that said, oh, man, I didn't have enough time to write all that stuff down, if you would go to, this is, I promise this is, this is not a plug, uh, but maybe it is. Isn't it turning? There it goes. Yeah, so here's the plug. So 
Uh, well, there it goes. Go back, if you will. Can you make that go back? And if you can't, here's what you can do. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I'll make it work. It's, it's, it's stuck in some space-time continuum. If you go to yanceyarrington.com, uh, which is my blog, you'll see our elder, elder development process. So just type in elder development. You'll see a couple of things that, that we posted. Uh, I just felt it was a good way because I'm, I'm by nature a researcher and a curator anyhow, and I thought, man, I, I'd had enough people ask me about that where we posted that. And in that, you'll see our list of basically what we would say our competencies are broken up, and there's a couple other things on there. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, we, that, that next year we are going to have, um, in, in, in April, we're going to have a, a conference where we're going to talk about how we do our elders as well in a, in a more real-time way uh, where you get to see how we do that. And a, a conference that we're leading on, a church leadership, Prevail Conference, uh, it's April 22nd, 23rd. Uh, you guys are more than welcome to be a part of that. In fact, Chris has a booth that he's hosting. Uh, you can get more information about that. But with that being said... Uh, any questions? And, and by the way, Bruce, I want to invite you into answering these questions as you'd like, especially as the senior pastor. So, um, so fire away. Any questions about this? Yeah. It was, uh, it was good to hear your process there, just um, confirming for David and I to jump very similar to what we've been developing over the last year. Um, but one of the questions we've been wrestling with is what do you do with uh, kind of the exceptions? Uh, the people who maybe seem like they might be an exception to the two-year process, maybe it's the, the lay elder who's got the theological degree from whatever school, or the, the lay elder who spent 15 years as a pastor previously, mm -hmm. or uh, the pastor that you hire into whatever church who mm -hmm. has a ton of great experience, and kind of how have you dealt with that, or, or have you? That's a good question. So if I'm hearing you correctly, I only try and reinterpret it for us, and you can say, yeah, it's a parallel situation. So we have this long process. Uh, right now, fairly long. It looks like it's a two-year process, uh, but we can shorten it, try to shorten it even to a year. What do we do if we add a staff guy who's going to operate at an elder level? Okay. Uh, so, Bruce, I'll, I'll give you the floor on that one. So, Bruce does our hiring, or, you know, primarily does our hiring. So, Bruce, what would we do with that? In the, uh, I mean, I think we have an answer. I'd love for you to answer that. So, guy comes in as a staff elder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So that's a good question. We, uh, when we started this process, we had three uh, lay elders that were part of our team, and we actually asked them to step off of the elder board and to go through this entire process. Uh, let's see, two, uh, really all three of those had been with us for 20 years. But what, what I said to them is, you understand, th this is not about the product of your training. This is about the development of a body of people who learn to love and trust each other and work together. And so you may hear nothing new. And even if you don't, it is critically important that you go through this entire training process because, you know, they're also developing a working relationship with a campus pastor and, you know, all the things that are, that are part of that. So, um, you know, when I became part of Acts 29, our church was already, um, you know, established. We were planting churches and, um, Yet, you know, I, I did the exact same thing that every church planter does. I went to the website. I completed all of those, all that documentation. Uh, I, I was assessed. Uh, and I think that's important for us as, um, as a network that, okay, so what that, you know, y you have this history. Uh, I needed to know the process. I only share that to say uh, that the people who may have had a lot of theological training, uh, 
they need to be a part of the process. It just makes the whole experience uh, more valuable for everyone. That's our view anyway. I'd say we take that all the way down. So we have people that show up at our church that have been teaching Sunday school, let's say, for the last 20 years of their life. Well, we still take them through a whole process because we want to say this is how we make disciples at Clear Creek Community Church. We have guys that come in with a theology degree, and we still take them through an entire systematic theology class for a year because this is how we interpret our theology and how we're going to teach that and so really even though there is some history that they can build on we know there's a there's a distinctive culture that we're establishing there's some distinctive beliefs that we have and so we don't want to just assume based upon their previous um, history and so we try to give take the slow slow time and walk them through it yeah so just to just add so we have a guy that we have on staff we just hired uh, DTS grad uh, actually one of the finalists for the preaching award there, and he still has to go through all of our stuff. Uh, and he wants to go through it because it's not about content. It's, it's about acclimation. It's about acclimation to our culture. And so uh, those guys need to know what gets us hot and those, and those things that they need to know what hills we're going to die on because there's a lot of theological hills people are dying on we don't care about. I mean, we care that, that you ought to believe something, but we're not going to fight about that. But we are going to fight about these things. And some of that stuff just doesn't happen until they're in those kind of processes, at least that we've laid out. And so uh, we, we might cut something saying, okay, here's, here's one segment you don't have to go through. But for us, it's them going through that with their team. So it's almost like a cohort, if you will. And that's how we tried to treat it, is that you're developing chemistry with your team as much as you're trying to learn stuff. So, And for guys that would, that would hesitate for that, that's a red flag for us. You know, guys are like, Man, I don't need to know that. I already know that. Well, then you, you probably don't need to know it with us. So, I mean, I, I'm teaching systematic theology for the fifth year. I mean, I've, I, feel, I feel like I've memorized that stuff. But uh, it's wonderful because the guys that go through it see how we, we apply that to our situation at Clear Creek. So, but it's a great question. So, um, anybody else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, you want to answer that? I was trying to restate. So you want me to restate that for the, so restate it again shortly. Bruce, did you want, I mean, I can answer that. Okay. It almost feels like you missed some of our missional communities, membership stuff. Yeah, see, for us, I mean, I, I think we've done a real good job of being, cause, because of one of our values is, uh, it's going to sound strange because every church should have, is lost people. 
um, we have a high tolerance and patience for a lot of broken, messed up people. And because we believe gospel centrality is such a key value for us, we just have a lot of messed up, screwed up people. And so uh, what's awesome is we're pulling our elders out of those that, that group of people. So uh, we have elders... Uh, I mean, we can tell Dave, we got a guy who's an orthopedic surgeon who had a screwed up life, got saved at our church. We've got, uh, I mean, uh, Carl Garcia, our campus pastor, who is, uh, this guy was, he would tell you, a philanderer, um, high, highly successful, broken couple of marriages imploded. Uh, Bruce started praying for him. It's not just because it's Bruce, but he's on Bruce's top five, shared the gospel with him. All of a sudden, this guy comes to our church, now becomes a believer, um, and his whole life changes. And so we have, we've just... We're fishing from the same pond of which we pulled our elders from. And so we don't have a bunch of religious legalists. Uh, we weed those boys out early. They usually don't stick long at our church. Um, and we don't, we're not trying to be arrogant about that. But So I, I, I don't, we don't have a system that says, how can you be patient with broken, lost people or people whose sanctification is going to take? We, just, we realize we can't microwave anybody. It's a crock pot. Uh, but I don't know if we have any kind of... Well, we, we really give a lot of freedom to our small groups and navigators, our small group leaders, as to how they want to practice missionality in their lives. So we got guys dr- driving down to Galveston doing brown bag, connecting that to the gospel. We have um, you know, uh, uh, one of our... Bruce's wife's working with uh, work and faith ministry. And we just... It's, it's not the one thing, it's the thousand things. So we, we're, not, we're not camping out on, if you're not adopting someone, you don't love Jesus. We don't do that. But we do have an adoption deal. So it's, we're just trying to figure out, uh, Chris is going to say, for example, uh, as a campus pastor, so we're in this neck of the woods, and Chris is like, I want to get to the schools, because I think that's a way we can reach people. So Chris has started up just different ways to be missional there. So for us, it's, it's not the one thing, it's the thousand things. But I think for us, it's... It's really just a value for us reaching lost people. Now, that's not to slam guys. That, we just don't have the same experience, I don't think, that you've had or maybe that have been around you. I'm sorry. So, yeah. Bruce going to add to that, though. I'll just add that uh, we may be legalistic like that and not be aware. I mean, uh, but in our structure of things, you know, we, we use this phrase. We say we're elder overseen, staff led, volunteer operated. So I'm saying that to say where that level of legalism might uh, creep in would probably not be at the elder level for us. It would be more at the leadership level for us because it would be our staff people who are looking at people and maybe making some judgments that are hypercritical because this person's not viewing mission the same way that person does, if I'm understanding you correctly. And um, so that, that would be more of our challenge. Where our elders are is they oversee in the sense that uh, we would say to our elders, uh, we want you to shepherd the heart and soul of the leaders in the life of our church. So uh, I asked a question earlier in the session about operational you know, relationship of elders and so on, and for me that, that, that wasn't why I was asking that question, is because um, for us elders are not in the operational you know, web um, that's more staff and volunteers, and elders are sprinkled through all of that, hopefully, you know, shepherding the heart and soul of who we are as a people. Well, not through the elder process, because not everyone on staff's an elder. So uh, those who are go through that process. And so we, one of the, just a little, you know, to be transparent, one of the debates that we're having, and it's a healthy debate, really discussion, not so much a debate, is so... Uh, at, at what point do we have staff guys that become elders? 
So we have a student pastor here. Does he ever need to be an elder at some point? And even the term student pastor is probably not biblically accurate. We would call it a student minister, pastor, elder being the same thing. But for us, with the, forgive the parlance, I would simply say those are things we're still trying to figure out. I would say one more thing to your question. Every small group we have, when they start, has to go through what we call missional community. So we define for them what missionality looks like, and we define for them what it doesn't look like. And for us, it's, and that's where we establish gospel centrality, you know, our, 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 um, our, our abhorrence of religious legalism. I mean, we draw some graphs out, put some names on it, offend people when we do it. But, but for us, we feel like we're trying to get that at the grassroots level. So that missional community has been huge for us. So, yeah, thank you. Good question. Thanks for articulating that better for us. Yes. Yeah. Where else are you involving or teaching or bringing Okay. Yeah. So on the on the campus level, so as I'm meeting with these guys throughout that first year, um, especially that first six months, I brought in the wives on multiple occasions. Some of that was just relational, like we're gonna all have dinner at my house. Um, there was a time where we said this is the role of the campus shepherding elder. Um, the wives are in the room as well because said also this is the role for you, um, and how how you're gonna relate to me how you're going to relate to the church, what you can do and what you can't do any longer when your husband and you assume this responsibility. And so there was multiple times relationally, but also in a distinct training that we did it on a campus level. Then as a central level, you saw that there was a retreat piece of that. Um, also, before we brought them public to the church, um, we brought them all together, wives, kids, families, where our more Bruce and Yancey and another one of our central guys had a chance to just kind of cast a vision over all of them saying, hey, we're about to present you before the church as a, you've already committed a year of this. So we celebrated that, celebrated their kids and their, their involvement in that. So there's multiple times throughout that. Right now, we do not. And we're still talking about how can we do this better in the future? You know, how can we incorporate our wives better? I mean, it's just, it's just something we're continuing trying to learn. I wouldn't even stand up here and say we got it all down um, with that at all. And, and part of that question also, as you look at all that stuff, most of that isn't in a complete book that we're asking people to read. And so we're pulling excerpts, we're pulling book summaries and things like that, because that's a lot of material. And so a lot of that, we're just pulling key chapters out of certain books that we want them to highlight. So all the, they're doing prep to come to these uh, teaching things. They're learning as they're there, and sometimes they have homework. So, Good question. Anything else? guys before we uh, get out early. Okay. No? Yeah. Recognizing elders. Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting. The state of Texas is incredibly free when it comes to those things. And so uh, what they would ask is, what is the recognizing body? And have they in some way done something that says these are our leaders? So um, if, if you are an autonomous local church, you just have to show, for example, you have IRS issues. You have to show what that would look like. But it's, it's incredibly free. It's like well, these guys were ordained. These guys wrote a letter that said they're on our staff and they're pastors. And so for us, we just said, what, what looks most biblical for us in our context? And, and it was a, a service where we're going to commission. Uh, and that legally is... Uh, that, if, from what we understand, I don't want to speak out of turn, but that's, that, is a, that holds up. So they can do weddings and funerals, but in Texas, almost anyone can do a wedding and funeral. It's, it's kind of a crazy thing. So uh, do you want to say something to that, Bruce? Let me just add to it. The, um, the IRS has very specific uh, requirements for someone who would be recognized as a minister uh, by the IRS. Okay? Now, please make that distinction. Not who can be recognized as a minister in church, but by the IRS, uh, what what are the characteristics or, or the requirements of that person? And so some of that is left uh, ambiguous, and you really need to work out as a church uh, what that means for you. For instance, one of the requirements is that a person uh, leads in worship services. Now, what does that mean? Is worship services only those meetings that are happening? when you're gathered together with adults, or when someone stands up in front of the children in your church and are leading them by opening God's word and teaching them, is that leading in a worship service? Well, the issue is not what answer you come to, it's that you have come to an answer and you have documented what that answer is. So that if you're questioned by the IRS, who is a minister in your church, because all they're trying to figure out is, are you just trying to make a way so everybody can check that off and get tax advantages, right? So uh, it would be healthy for all of our churches to have worked through those requirements and most clearly defined what is the process for moving someone that you do want to view as a minister or as a pastor, whatever distinctions you make with that, and uh, very clearly articulate that. Then you know what your process is, or at least you've got, got something to guide your process for someone to be a minister or pastor in the church that's recognized by the IRS. So to reiterate, you need to have a process in which you can show and demonstrate this is how we recognize the leadership in our church, uh, i.e. the pastors and elders. And for us, it's a commissioning. Um, part of our distinctives is we want to be as close to the people as possible, not create any kind of separation. I talked about sacerdotalism. We don't call each other pastors. Uh, we really don't use our titles unless we're speaking somewhere else. I'm not Dr. Yancey Arrington. I'm not Pastor Yancey. That's not a slam. We know a lot of churches do that. In our culture, we've just tried to communicate. That's Bruce. I'm Yancey. That's Chris. And we're just, we're just followers of Jesus who happen to have this role in this season, hopefully for the duration of our lives. Uh, but we're going to serve you as elders. This guy's going to serve as a small group leader, but we're all on the same, same team. So for us, commissioning fits us. Uh, recognizing sounds something like we could, we could drop that too. But so... Um, but again, it just depends on kind of your culture. So, any more questions before we take off? Guys, thank you all so much for being a part of this. Now, I'm going to hand this back to you. Thank you, Dr. Pastor uh, Yancey. Um, so, um, we are back in here at what time, Young? I don't even know. Does anyone know? 2.30, which means you have tons of time to eat lunch and be on time.
So it's 12.48. We'll see you precisely at 2.30. Um, this afternoon, um, we'll be hearing from Steve Timmis and Matt Chandler. So they're going to be uh, talking this afternoon. So those are ones you're going to want to be on time for. So see you back here.